right. Hey, um, very excited to be here. My name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor at Mariner's Mission Viejo. If you're new with us, really, really glad that you're here. Um, my guess is that, you, you know, there's lots of stuff happening. Some of you drove from out of town. You're with family. They're tell, trying to explain to you how weird our church is with this wall here. And you, now you know how weird it is. And glad that you're here. Whatever brought you here, whether it was family or friends or tradition or curiosity, whatever it is, I'm just so glad that you're here. There was a person who works at the hospital who um, walked down as a, you know, as a, like a parking person who just walked into our church service yesterday and said, I'd never been here before. I just saw you guys were here and thought I'd come through at Christmas. So whatever brought you here, I'm so glad. You know, Christmas is kind of up and running. If you're not already aware of it, <laughs> it's happening. Um, it's kind of a big deal. But uh, let me ask you just real quick, just a quick survey, see where everybody is, how everybody's doing. Let me ask you, just by show of hands, uh, how many of you are, uh, you're, you're wearing something new tonight? Like, this is, the, this is the debut of whatever sweater or shirt or whatever that grandma bought you, and you're wearing it, and it, yep, okay, a couple of us. Good. How many of you guys tonight, you, uh, you were wearing something, and someone sent you back in the house to change before you left? <laughs> yep, a couple of people out there, yep, I kind of had that experience. I was like, Amanda, are we... Is everything okay? Like, are we, is this all right? Are we, you know, got one of those moments. Uh, how many of you guys, um, you, you, have a, you have a real tree as a Christmas tree? A lot of pride about that, a couple of you. Woo! Okay, how many of you guys like, would much rather preserve time and the environment and have a fake tree? Yes, you just unpack that thing, dust it off, and plug that sucker in and call it Christmas. Look, it's magic. It's already done. Let's go watch some more football or hang out. Yep. I'm all about that. Uh, how many of you guys, um, you, have, you have gone from, um, you, you have mostly LED lights hanging on the outside of your house? Yep, they look a little weird, but they're way more energy efficient. How many of you guys, it burning the incandescent soft glow of yeah, hating the environment? Yeah, woo! Yep, yep, those look way better, yep. Well, there's lots of, lots of traditions, lots of things that you, kinda, you do at Christmas. One of those things is nativities. Uh, scenes. How many of you guys have a nativity scene in their house somewhere? At least one. How many have more than one? Just out of curiosity. How many have more than two? More than three? More than five? five how many do you have? Okay, so you have four. There's a hand behind you. How many do you guys have? She's counting in her head. Five. You count five. Husband's like, five. It's five. She's going to keep counting. It's only five. What? Four of them are missing Jesus anyways, right? Okay, well, here's one of the, I, I was looking at a couple uh, nativity scenes that I had seen uh, recently. I thought these were pretty incredible. These are, some of them are actually kind of tragic. But I want to share with you some of these nativity scenes. Here they are. Right there. There's the first one. Now, leave that on the screen for a second. There, <laughs> this gets a mixed reaction. Because some of you are laughing and you know that that's ridiculous. And some of you are like, oh, that's so cute. If... <laughs> If you're someone that thought, that is so cute, I want to know where they got, what that, I, you know, there's support groups that we're going to form for you. Our church is here for you. And we're not judging, but that's, that's sad that you think that. Uh, this is actually, um, this is actually, I kid you not, called, <laughs> called the captivity. It's just, it's so lame. Okay, here we go. Uh, next one. Okay, how many of you guys have this one in your house? Yep, we used to have this one. Uh, almost every single part of that uh, Fisher-Price you know, nativity scene, uh, has ended up in our kid's bathtub. <laughs> I don't know whether that we're allowed to do that, but that's what happened. And in case you were wondering, baby Jesus floats. Okay. So even at that age, he was walking on water. Okay. Uh, next. <laughs> now, oh, that everybody just gave the that's sad a sigh. Hopefully that was the that's sad. Not a, I really want that. That's good. 
That is a jacket that tells the whole story of Christmas in the most tragic way ever. So some of you, if you own this, again, we have support groups. We're all about helping you take your next steps away from things that are like that. Okay, here we go. Next. Okay. A couple, a couple guys and a couple little guys, like my, I got a, I got a nine-year-old, you're all stoked, I can tell the hands raised right there. Now, a couple of you guys are thinking, I'm doing that tonight, mom and dad, you know, I'm putting that out, it's going to be out tomorrow morning. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice about this. One is, look at the size of Jesus' head relative to the size of his body. <laughs> he is, he is a total, I mean, he is a, wow, he's got something going on there. Now, also notice this, some of you will notice the drummer boy featured there. Now, all right, except for that the hair you can detach and remove on a Lego piece. Who is that guy? That's Luke Skywalker. He's present at the birth of our Lord. He's unified two things, Star Wars and Jesus, which, you know, really close together. Okay, here we go, next thing. <laughs> okay. Next activity, there's a blending of a couple of holidays. Never seen those blended before, but there's uh, St. Patrick's Day and... And Christmas, and right there, if you, if you look closely, there's the wee baby Jesus, and Joseph and Mary, and St. Patrick, and all the, all the green clovers at the bottom there. But you can see all the, uh, all the shamrocks, whatever, right there. It's just kind of this bizarre, I don't know how someone thought, you know it would make a great nativity? Just full Irish. Okay, that'd be awesome. Someone did that, so there you go. Uh, let's see, I think I have one more. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now... <laughs> You figure, everybody's figuring out what that is. Those are s'mores. And there is the world's worst pun that is the lowest hanging fruit ever right here, which is, can we just have some more Jesus at Christmas? So bad. So we have some more Christmas? Of course we can. Uh, lastly, here's this. Outdoor nativity scene. No Mary, Joseph, or Jesus. hundred bucks. <laughs> Basically, if you're looking for a barn, we have it. But there are all kinds of traditions. You know, Christmas is everywhere. There's, you know, if you, if, you know someone from our, our office went across the street to shop yesterday to try and do some last-minute shopping, and it is crazy packed. There is all kinds of stuff. Everybody's decorated, hoping you'll spend more money because Christmas is everywhere. And it begs the question, well, who's Christmas for? Who's Christmas for? I mean, Christmas is everywhere. Everybody kind of seems, you know, seems to have some kind of stake in it. And for a lot of us who are coming to church tonight... There's a sense about the church that we've had over the course of our lives that Christmas may be everywhere, but church is kind of playing bouncer to who gets access to Jesus. And in some way or another, we might have had an encounter with the church, we might have had an experience or whatever in our past that said, only people who kind of have their act together, and I'm literally their act, like the outside of their entire lives look like it's all put together, they're wearing the right sweater, they drive the right car, and they fake like everything's okay. And maybe there's a part of us that said, I think that's the church, that's, that they're kind of controlling who goes to Jesus and who doesn't. And my guess is that there's a lot of us who go, I, I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I'm allowed to be around him. You know, the Bible paints a picture that's way different than a, lot, than a lot of us have an impression about the church or about the manger, for that matter, about Jesus at Christmas altogether. The Bible paints a picture that's a, that answers a much different question about who gets access to Jesus, different than we probably have ever heard before, despite what we might have grown up with in terms of the church. Now, at Christmas, for a pastor, this is kind of like one of those things like, you guys all know what I'm going to talk about. It's not like there's any surprises, you know, like, I wonder what he's going to say today. This, it's like... I'm talking about Jesus being born, that's it. You know, like, that's kind of the deal. 
But it's a story that's so important that it bears repeating, especially as we kind of wonder, who, who gets access to Jesus? I mean, if Christmas is everywhere, who's it for? Well, as you wrestle with that question, the Christmas story answers a lot of it in it. So I'll just read from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that, was t- that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, here's what's being set up. One is that the adopted son of Julius Caesar, this guy Augustus, has immense power. Luke, the guy who's writing here, is also trying to give us a pretty good date as to when things are happening. And you have that he, this, this Caesar guy who has who is known for his power, is known for instituting this thing called the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome, which came at a price of a a multitude of military victories. And here's this person with huge power, and he has so much power, he can tell people where to go. Hey, I'm having a census, everybody go home. Now the census is about uh, taxation. It's not about just, I want to get an accurate head count, you know, make sure everybody's here, everybody's safe. No, no, no. This is about a super powerful person overseeing a super powerful empire that can command people to go home so that he can take their money. And that's the setup for this this story here. Uh, Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, or in Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, you have again the power of Rome, the commanding of people to go home, that's what Rome can say, and you have these two people at the very low end of the power and influence totem pole, people who are told where to go, Joseph and Mary. It says that they're going to Joseph's ancestral home, which connected all the way back to this guy named David, a, a, a king, the most famous king probably in the Bible, and there's where they're going to have this baby, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, here's, here's what you have to know. Mary is this person. Now, people were married at a very young age. Women were married at a very young age. She's probably junior high, early high school, 13, 14 years old. So here's this teenage mom who's pregnant. Now, remember, she has a story that we're familiar with because Christmas is everywhere, where, like, you know, we kind of know the story. But imagine back then at that time. She's engaged to this guy, Joseph, and they're not yet married. And she says, all of a sudden she's pregnant. And the story that she tells everybody, listen to how absurd this would be. You guys, me and Joseph have been faithful. I haven't gone anywhere else. It's just, you know, an angel visited me and told me that the Holy Spirit would be the father of my baby. Okay, Mary, you're 13 years old, you're telling us that story. We believe you. No, we don't. Right? I mean, there's a shroud of kind of, there's kind of these dubious, weird circumstances surrounding her. It's not like everybody's like, we're so excited for you. Even though she's called this one that's highly favored. The circumstances that surround her aren't one in which everybody's real excited about. It looks a little suspicious. And now she goes to her now husband's home. And they're in this, this place where, you know, like, you know, I, I, when I was in high school, I rode, the, I rode, you know, public transit. I rode the OCTA bus to my high school. And I remember, you know, like, there's a little, there's a couple stickers on some of those seats. Some of you guys have ridden public transit before. Where it says, this seat is reserved for the elderly and those requiring special assistance or whatever it might need. And they, they have a couple seats. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And everybody, if you're sitting there and someone gets on who clearly needs some special assistance, you jump up. Or else everyone else looks at you in the bus like, seriously, you're going to make that person stand, Right? 
Now, here comes a pregnant girl, a pregnant woman into this house. And nobody says, oh, she's pregnant. It must have been a long ride on that donkey or whatever. They, we need to get some space for you. And we'll gladly take the seat with the, or we'll gladly take the, the room with all the animals. No, no, no. They say, sorry, no room. You and Joseph, you guys get to be in the barn. You're with the animals. And she gives birth to this baby and then places him in the feeding trough because there's no room. And these are the circumstances we have that set up Remember, you have this power set up about this guy, Augustus Caesar, and then you have him commanding everybody to go someplace, and you have the story of the one who would be called the king of kings being born to this mom under these weird, you know, kind of suspicious circumstances in a barn. And then an angel visits some shepherds in verse 8. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, here's what you have to know is, when angels show up, they always scare everybody. There's never a time in the Bible where an angel shows up and nobody's scared. There's never like, hey guys, I'm an angel. Hey, glad you made it. Cool, come on, sit down. There's never that instance. There's only terror. There's only like, maybe, maybe they need to work on their subtlety, or you know, they sort of gradually increase the glory of the Lord. And, you know, it seems like they just wait. And then there's some shepherds, and they're like, gory, or whatever it is they do. And the shepherds are scared, and oh my gosh, you're hearing that. You know, then they have to say what all angels say when they scare someone, which is, fear not, don't be afraid. Stop being scared. Everything's cool. I'm an angel. Now, if you ever have someone who tells you that they've, like, met an angel, you know, like, they're like, well, you know, I, I got a flat tire, and someone pulled over, and they helped me, and I'm pretty sure it was an angel driving a Chevy, or whatever it is. And the next question you should ask them is, really, were you terrified? And if they're like, no, I wasn't at all. <laughs> Not an angel. It's just a real, handsome, it's a real handsome person that came over to help you. That's it. A real attractive person, whatever. That's all it is. Because angels scare people. And here are these shepherds out in this field, and, and, they, and they're told there's, there's going to be some good news. So here's what they get. Verse 10. But then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, let me stop right there. There are these shepherds out in the field. The angel scares them and says, I'm going to bring you, we can, you can, you can put the screen on in a second. I'm going to bring you good news, great joy for all the people. I bring you good news and great joy for all the people. And here's what they're, well, whatever it is that Christmas is, whoever Christmas is for, it's not just for a small group of people. The good news of Christmas is for all people. But we have a natural resistance to that idea. We have a sense, a belief, that good news is for good people. Good news is for people that are kind of have everything together. Good news is for people who come from, you know, functional families, whatever that is. Good news is for people that their kids never make mistakes. Good news is for people that don't have problems or issues, that don't have history or stories or reputations. That's what good news is for, right? Good news is for people with no secrets, you know, we live with the sense that Christmas can't really be that good because it's only for some people who are already good. But the angel appears to shepherds. Now, we have an image of, about shepherds maybe in our kind of context here because my guess is that none of you grew up around shepherds. Maybe some of you are shepherds and way to go shepherds, I guess. But here's the deal. We have an impression about shepherds that they're like, if someone was to tell, like if I told you guys, hey, I grew up on a ranch, which I did not. <laughs> I grew up in Irvine, in a, you know, condo, whatever. But 
if I was to tell you I grew up on a ranch, you'd be like, wow, that guy's probably pretty cool. I mean, he probably knows how to like handle stuff and you know, fix tractors and fix fence posts. He's probably kind of an awesome person. Probably is in a Dodge commercial or something like that. And there's something about that that seems kind of awesome. But shepherds in the day, back when this story is being written and being told, when the birth of Jesus is happening, these are, these are not trusted people. Shepherds are people who walk with sheep. They walk in front of sheep and with sheep and behind the sheep meaning they're walking in whatever the sheep are leaving behind. These are people who take their own, they're, they're kind of a low-grade thief, because what they do is they take their sheep and they wander them into, to, um, to, to graze in fields that aren't their own. And because they're always around sheep, they're handling animal kinds of things, and animal kinds of stuff means that there is, even there's, sometimes there's dead sheep they have to handle, and for all those reasons, these are people who are not allowed to participate in the religious life of the community because they're unclean. They're tolerated, but they're not really desired. These are people, and in this particular time, when you're not a part of the religious community, or part of the religious festivals, whatever else is going on, not part of the religious life of the community, you're not part of the community at all. Now, if if there's going to be a huge announcement that's good news for all the people, why in the world would you choose a channel like shepherds that nobody trusts? Why in the world would you utilize a scandalous scenario in which a, a teenage mom and her husband who's kind of un, under these weird circumstances, why would you utilize that method? Maybe because what God intends to do at Christmas and in this story is something totally surprising. Because Christmas isn't just for a few people, it's for all the people that don't have their act together. For all those people who have made mistakes and blown it. And here's the news he says in verse 11. Today, in the town of David, has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So here's a couple of huge things that are said here. One is that you'll see in the city of David that there's this person called the Savior. And that there is, he is the Messiah. And this Messiah, by the way, Messiah is a rough translation of the Hebrew word meaning anointed person, anointed one. So God's chosen person. The Greek version of that is roughly translated Christ. So some of you were under the impression that like, you know, Joseph and Joseph Christ married Mary, you know, Johnson. And then they got married and had a kid and Joseph Christ had, you know, Joseph and Mary Christ had a son and his name was Jesus Christ, right? That's what we kind of have this impression, you know, Christ brothers, carpentry school, whatever it is. It's not it. What you have is that Christ is a title meaning anointed one, God's chosen person. And what's being said is that chosen person is born in a barn. This is kind of surprising. The story takes on quite a turn. You see, maybe what God's doing at Christmas is saying in a very clear sense. That the most, the least likely people, the ones that were, were never really going to be included in the community of people who are supposed to be, you know, about all of the religious stuff of the community, about God, all of those people are the ones whom Jesus came for, the ones who have pain and sorrow and sadness, the ones who have difficulty getting along, the outsiders, the ones who are somehow excluded. Maybe that's who Christmas is for, for people with real pain in the midst of real life. I want you to see the story of a guy who's, who's a, a pastor on, on staff at Mariners. He's at our Ocean Hills campus. But I want you to see his story about how God has come near to him in a time of real pain. So check this out. 
Well, 10 weeks ago, I found out I had a brain tumor, and 30 hours later, I was in surgery for 11 hours. And uh, I, my face is paralyzed. I lost the hearing in my right ear. And but what I realized is that in this catastrophic moment in my life, how easy it was to trust Jesus. But now it's been 10 weeks and um, of waiting, of waiting for my face to show signs of movement. It's gotten hard to trust. And uh, I heard about this surgery that I could have that would bring my face back. You know, I just, I want to smile. And I um, heard about the surgery that could do that. So I went to go see this doctor and, um, and he said, well, it's you know, not really plus I had and you're not going to have those same results. And I found myself that I had been, started trusting in that moment trusting in this doctor and I left there and, and we we were just broken and grieving and hurting in this because it didn't turn out how we wanted and I, I, I was grieving that it, that that wasn't an option anymore but more so I was grieving the fact that I inadvertently said um, Jesus if you can't heal me I got a doctor that can and realized I began to trust something else other than uh, Jesus that would take care of me. So as we struggled through this faith journey and in trusting God, I'm reminded in scripture that tells us that we will experience suffering, but that we can also, in the midst of it, experience joy. And the crazy thing is, is that we have found that. But the only reason I think that that's possible is because of Jesus, because of He caught what he said. He just wanted to smile again. But there's something about him. I mean, here's this guy going through life. This is a person who also is a worship leader, meaning he has, you know, one of his responsibilities is to lead with singing, and he can't hear out of one ear anymore. This is a guy who's going through his life, and all of a sudden, in the midst of everything else, he has a brain tumor that has to be removed. And he goes, well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I really going to find the, the, the true hope and life that really comes that's beyond the circumstances of pain and suffering? He goes, what I realized is I was looking for the doctor to do what only Jesus could do in my life. The doctors have been great for him. They've, they've done unbelievable surgery and been able to be amazing for him. But he said, the deepest needs of my soul aren't being met by doctors. They're being met by Jesus. Because God has come near. You know, the, the, the book of John writes it this way. We read, Ethan quoted it at the very beginning of our service here with us, but it says this in John chapter 1. It says, The Word, meaning God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and of truth. You see, the word dwelling right there, the word dwelling actually means to set up camp among us, to put up a tent, to set up camp in and among us. And it means then that God didn't simply come and announce on a loudspeaker, I have a new way for you guys to start acting so you can work your way up to me on a new moral ladder. That's not what happened at Christmas. What happened at Christmas is that God enfleshed himself and became this, this human being and walked among us, set up his tent among us. 
And, and for, for centuries, people were debating about how was God going to show up in such a way that, you know, who was he going to show up for? Was he going to show up for people that are kind of already having to know what to do, kind of know how to do the right, you know, whatever it might be, whatever, say the right words and do all the right things? Or is there something else? There's someone else he's coming for. Because I think for a lot of us, we have the impression that God came for a certain kind of people. And we're not, we don't really fit the mold. And this is today, or it was yesterday. You know, God comes for people who are in the midst of hurting. And I remember, um, I'm, we're getting stuff ready. I'm getting ready to do our, our first of our four services yesterday. And um, my wife Amanda gets a call from one of a set of sisters who are real close with us. And they say, our dad just died. And in the midst of all the preparation for Christmas and everything else, all the stuff I'm worried about, all the things we got in-laws coming into town, we got handling stuff, we got presents to wrap and all this kind of stuff to do, bam, life happens. And Amanda's on the phone with one of these, one of these women and she's just talking and you know, they're praying together. It's like, what do you say? Where do you turn? You need God to be close, not just giving us a moral pathway. You need him to be close because life hits and it hurts. You see, God came at Christmas not just for people who have everything together. God didn't come at Christmas for people who don't need him. He came for people in the midst of their real lives and their real stories and their real pain. That's who God came for. And if he came to set up camp among us, well, who's the us? Let's just be even more specific. Because if he really did come for all of us, then, there's, then the, the implications are staggering. Let me show you, I'm going to fast forward in Jesus' life and ministry just a little bit and show you what happened in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Here's what happens. Matthew 9, verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus went on from there, this is during Jesus' ministry. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, here's what this means. Tax collector, if you're with us this weekend, I explained this already. Tax collector is someone. Roman Empire takes over a place, and they recruit people who had been taken over. They recruit people from that group saying, who wants to help us raise money for this empire? Nobody raises their hand. It's a totally unregulated job, meaning you can take whatever you want for yourself as long as we get our money. People's hands start to go up. Meaning, tax collectors are people who are ripping off their own people for the, for the occupying army of the, of the Roman Empire, and they can take whatever else they want for themselves. So I can go to your house, I'm a tax collector, and say, Caesar wants, you know, whatever money he wants, but I also want some more, and you have to give it to me, or that Roman soldier right there will stab you. Give me your extra money. So you can imagine how everybody feels about tax collectors. They're notorious traitors. Nobody wants to be around these guys. In fact, if you're seen around them, you too become scum. You become dirt. You become like they are, traitorous and evil. And what's said is, the <clears throat> book of Matthew records, Jesus calls a tax collector from his booth, and then they're having dinner together with Jesus' disciples, and the tax collector invites other tax collectors, who are the only people who can stand each other, and other sinners. And when you eat dinner in this particular culture, it's not just like we happen to sit next to each other at in and out It's like we're actually sharing the same space. It means whatever it is that's about you is now about me. And always the person who is the most outsider, the most dirty, the most profane, always transfers that onto someone who is not. Meaning 
Jesus is now, quote-unquote, infected by the sin of these outsiders, the tax collectors. Now, people observe this. Some religious leaders see what's going on. They're called Pharisees. Here's what they say. Verse 11, when Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Notice they don't ask Jesus. They just ask the disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? One translation says it this way. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why would he do that? Doesn't he realize what's happening to him? Nobody respects him when he does that because he's around these people that nobody else wants. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Jesus quotes from the book of Hosea from the Hebrew Bible. I desire mercy, God says, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Meaning, another another scholar says it this way. I've not come... I've come to invite outsiders. I've not come to coddle the insiders. Meaning that people that, when Jesus came to dwell among us at Christmas, the answer to the question about who is Christmas for is probably better asked, who is Jesus for? But the answer to that question is all of us. People who have big regrets and big shame. People who have made huge mistakes. People that have wondered if there's anything else, if anybody could ever love them. All of those people, that's who Jesus came to be around because nobody wanted to be around tax collectors and sinners. Jesus came for those people, which means he came for us. The real us. People who blow it. People who wish they could have a do-over in their life. God came to dwell among us that we might know him, not just simply know a new way to behave, but that we would walk closely and intimately with him. Christmas isn't just for people who have their act together. Well, maybe they have their act together, but that's it. Christmas is for people who need Jesus. Christmas is for people who are broken. Christmas is for all of us. Christmas is for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are in a room of people who are just like us, who have questions and doubts. We have fears. We have hidden loneliness. We have secrets we don't tell. We have habits and addictions. We have worry. Father, at Christmas, we wrestle with the notion that you came near to us that you would walk with us, that you would hold us, that you would celebrate the fact that we would walk with you because we're yours, because you created us. And so Jesus, as we respond in Christmas, might we at least wrestle with the reality that says, it doesn't matter how good I I am, no matter what my reputation is or how many problems or issues I have, that what we might say is, you came because we needed you. That Christmas, that Jesus is for all of us for us. And so, Lord, it is in your name that we pray on this night. Amen.